Hey, I'm back with another episode of the Ask Philip podcast. And before this episode, so we, we I normally, well, I do record two episodes on one day. And, uh, and so the episode that we'll be releasing that I recorded before this one, it comes out today, was about Bitcoin. I got a chance to interview one of the first 50 podcasters ever early to build an e-commerce site or relatively early to Bitcoin. He has a successful Bitcoin conference that goes that happens here every year in Dallas of true hardcore uh, Bitcoiners. He has a podcast called The 4-Minute Bitcoin or something like that. Uh, it'll be on a previous episode, but it's on every major podcast player. I'm going to subscribe because it basically gives you a breakdown of everything going on in Bitcoin in four minutes a day. Good information. But so I'm following it up with, with education on stable coins, which is a completely different cryptocurrency than than bitcoin and so before the episode we'll talk we we, we nerded out on bitcoin this one we're going to talk about stable coins and and y'all are seeing a pattern of my previous shows because i'm spending a lot of time in this world entrenching myself because i I just believe like the whole world of finances are getting rebuilt outside of the traditional system because the traditional system is like broke and every you know the way humanity works every 50 years or so we rebuild the system and it's currently being rebuilt, and as a finance person, I just want to make sure I'm on top of it because this is at the this is at the heart of uh, what I do for clients. And so, let's talk about stablecoin. So it's in the simple term, a stablecoin is a digital currency pegged to another asset, right? So it could be uh, pegged to the dollar, which is a stablecoin, right? It they have a stablecoin of a dollar, they'll buy whatever hundred dollars worth of dollars and then they'll back and they'll create a stable coin that back that's backed by those hundred dollars worth a dollar, right? It's typically not gonna be more than the asset that they've pegged it to, right? Uh, or they can stable coin, they can create a stable coin for gold that is pegged to gold, right? So for every value of stable coin, right, if you've got a hundred dollars worth of a hundred dollars worth of gold stable coin is backed by a hundred dollars worth of like real physical gold somewhere. And look at the app. You can have one for all the other different currencies, the euro. You can have one for oil. There's an exchange building one for commodities. It's going to be like a whole exchange. And so stable coins are a digital currency that's pegged to real life assets. And people are like, okay, why is that important? You know, if we already have the the real live assets, why do we, you know, why do we need stable coins to peg it? Before I answer that question, let me explain the significance of of how this looks over over time, right? So imagine five years from now, you have your, you know, my, my wife's favorite singer, favorite artist of all time is Beyonce. And let's say in five years, Beyonce wants to raise money for her next tour. Uh, traditionally, Beyonce would have to go to investors, record labels, come up with her, or come out of money with her own pocket because she has enough. She has a lot. Uh, to invest to create that tour. But what if she created a Beyonce coin where the owners of that coin got the revenue and, and, and profits or got the profits of the tour sent to that coin? So so the fans can say, hey, look, we think it's going to be a hit. Why don't we go ahead and, we're, you know, st- they're still going to buy tickets, but we want to actually invest in a tour and make money off both and provide Beyonce the money she needs to make a great tour and experience for us, right? That's possible with stable coins. Or, you know, what if you want to, uh, as a matter of fact, here's something cool. So I was talking with a, a client the other day and they, HEB, if you're in, te- if you live in Texas uh, and specifically South Texas, 
then you know H-E-B is hands down best grocery store of all time. We lived in San Antonio for a while. My wife's family love it. I grew to love it. They have a few here in, in DFW, but it's actually like a really good grocery store. And I had a client who wanted to buy some H-E-B stock, but they're privately owned, so they couldn't. But Stablecoin, you know, makes it to where H-E-B could tokenize or create Stablecoin for ownership shares in the company, right? Or you can do it for, for wine, antique cars, sports contract, right? Instead of just betting on your rookie, betting on rookie in like the sports leagues, you can like say, hey, I want to bet on their contract. I want to own a part of their contract. You know, masses of your favorite artist, farmland, the Saudi deserts. Basically, stable coins and tokenization process allows you, allows like basically any asset out there to be at play and take it from the private market to the to the liquid market. And this is not like a future technology, right? The tech is already here. It's already happening. You know, there are some that need some regulations put in place to make it to go to make it go mainstream. But what the blockchain is basically doing, and in this example, strict and what the blockchain does, but this is also what they're doing through stable coins, is lowering the cost of verification, right? Because with all with all assets, you need to verify if the person you're buying from it really owns it and then be able to transfer ownership in a way where it's it's verified and and traceable and and believe it or not in the in the current system that we have that is crazy like so I use an example of like Lehman right cuz you know everybody knows well not everybody knows securitization is so let me explain what securitization is because it it was at the heart of the problem of the 2008 crisis where we had the mortgage backed securities that blew up the system. And so, you know, before the 80s, when, when securitization started, you, you couldn't buy somebody's mortgage, right? It's not a liquid product. But securitization allowed banks to package up mortgages of all their customers and then sell it on an exchange that people can buy and sell as a package product, which were called CMOs, commercial mortgage obligations, right? And you can do that for all kinds of different assets. The problem was, and I don't want to go too nervous, there's something called rehypothecation, which basically that's multiple people own, own different assets, right? So you, we don't have the problem in real estate because you have deeds and they're, they're with title insurance companies, easy to um, track and verify the owner, right? It's, it's cumbersome and expensive process, process which blockchain is going to change that too. But you don't have multiple people claiming deeds to, to a house or to a property. But in the, in the securities world, you know, for stocks and treasury bonds and derivatives, like rehypothecation is a muck. Like nobody knows who owns what, right? And so at the heart of the 08 crash, most people think it was one thing, but what it really was, was since there was so, so many people who claimed ownership to one security and the banks that were letting different people lend out, you know, borrow different securities so they can make bets on what, you know, on their investment bet, what ended up happening was people were like, Wait a minute. You know, it's it's. We think that there's issues over here, and I want to go ahead and claim my security back and take it away from this bank because I know it's I know it's rehypothecated out multiple times, and I want mine before everybody calls there and there's a run on the bank, right? So that's so it wasn't a run on the bank in a traditional 1930 way where people had a run on the bank for their cash. It was a run on bank for security, and since there was more securities than there were people who, or less securities than people who owned them, it was a run on Lehman, right? And that's what really caused um, the problem, right? So, and and by the way, that that problem never got fixed. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So tokenization helps solve that problem because you can verify who owns what through that process, and so 
blockchain technology through tokenization is fixing that problem, right? And it's going to go through and fix that problem and my expectation on all the different asset classes so that you could track who owns what, right? And and here's here's something even crazier. It kind of changes the definition. It, it, it's going to do all different types of asset classes, but it, you kind of don't really... I, I, I'm explaining this simply, right? So I'm, I'm going to use a specific point to explain it. So you have you have people who care about clean energy, right? And so we all, you know, we all buy gas and the gas that we buy, we don't know if the gas came from clean efforts or non-clean efforts, right? We just know that it's cheaper than the one next door. And so we buy it. What this will allow you to do is through securitization and tokens track exactly what, you know, is going to delineate, you know, the, 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 the process, the supply chain process of how that oil went from the ground to the pump and and we could track like what process it went through. Meaning, if we care more about clean energy, then I can say, all right, cool. This this place is selling energy that came in from clean sorts versus one that was polluting an area. I want to spend money on that one better. And then you allow for the the, the market to impose its will on the producers, right? So then, because we're going to have dirty, you know, dirty gas that came from dirty players, gas came from clean players. Like it can it can bifurcate and separate out all that stuff because blockchain can track it, right? And and if you ever get confused about what blockchain does, just think of it as everything that requires trust, right? We have to trust that they're doing it right. It eliminates that because the blockchain can allow a bunch of people at random to to, to verify the process. It's, it's going to create more transparency around around the process um, of, of, of all that. And some people will say, well, hey, Philip, going back to this, Stablecoin thing. What? If, let's let's use gold for example. If I buy a stablecoin backed by gold, how do I know that gold is there? There'll be third party auditors, right? Third. So you know, because what 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 happens on the blockchain network is you have different nodes, and I'm I'm using for example Bitcoin. You have different nodes that can check in and make sure the transactions are verified. In in real life assets, you'll just have third party auditors that go in and say, "Hey, we we've audited the gold. It's good." And and what you can imagine is. The, the the companies that offer the most transparency are probably going to get the most business. The companies that have the less transparency are going to get the least business. And the market will whittle. The market will do what it does, and it'll we you know it'll gravitate towards the most transparent stable coins and weed out the less transparent ones. But it's it's going to do this, and it already has the ability to do this for all types of asset classes. So stable coins like are the future. And when I'm not, because most most people are thinking, oh yeah, we're gonna have Fed coin or U.S. you know the the central bank coin. That's not even the tip of the iceberg for what stable coins are gonna do. It's gonna be one aspect of it, and that can be a whole different episode of how central bank current how central bank currencies are gonna work and help them to affect economics through behavior modification. Which again, I, I won't go into that now. That'll be we'll make that another episode. But I'm talking about stable coins as a whole pegging to other asset classes like it's gonna it's gonna affect every single industry that has to do with assets real estate you know nba contracts i mean everything so final thoughts is i was i was thinking about this this morning i was like hey if i had a million dollars right and this is this is just hypothetical question because i actually do manage a whole lot more than fit than a million dollars for clients but this hypothetical, like if I had a million dollars and my goal was to hit a home run, 
on that money? How would I invest uh, that money? And so, so first thing I do is I pick a time frame. And I like a 10-year time frame because it's long-term. The reason why private equity investors and venture capital investors get superior returns is they lock the money up for 10 years. And when you have a 10-year time frame, it's, it's easier to plan and, and, and be accurate because you don't have to deal with the short-term fluctuations. And so, so then you think, okay, everything moves in trends, relatively predictable trends. You know, what are the trends for the next 10 years? Well, I've mentioned some previous podcast. We, we have a trend of slow growth because there's a lot of debt, right? Whenever there's a lot, whenever there's a lot of debt, we have slow growth. See a previous episode about that. And in order for governments to fix the slow growth, they, they print money to wipe away the debt, right? They pay off their debt with fake money over time, right? And people get tricked by it, but it's what they do over and over and over again. And so, you, so you're like, okay, cool. I got historical context for that. That's how, they, that's how they're going to do it. Here's the problem. All right, what asset classes do well in, 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 in those environments? And so if I had a million dollars and I want to hit a home run, I would put my money in asset classes that do well in that environment. So first one is going to be scarce assets, assets that can't be printed. So you could think um, gold, right? We, a reason why I have the Bitcoin podcast before this is Bitcoin is Bitcoin is a store of value and is being recognized by wealthy people, right? This is so what's what's happening. This bull run is different than last bull run was in 2017. It was mostly retail investors. After coronavirus hit, and then wealthy people were like, "Oh man, wait a minute, the governments can't stop printing money." You know, they're rushing to get their money out of dollar assets and put them into uh, Bitcoin because it's appreciating significantly over inflation. Because, you know, my previous guest got up, brought up a good point, right? I was like, hey, why does, why does the central banks keep using this this 2% inflation rate? Like, they, the way they track inflation is not real inflation because most people's biggest expense is housing costs, and that's going up a lot more than 10 per, you know, 2%. And if you look at Japan, who was going through this process since 1994, and when they start printing money, what happened to them? Like, their housing cost is ridiculous. Just look at average housing costs in Japan, right? Most people live in like a 700-square-feet apartment. Most of them can't own it uh, because it's, it's it's cost too much because the government printed money, and money printing, you know, it doesn't show up in the cost of goods, the normal stuff that we buy, because that's that goes down in value of technology, but it goes up in asset prices and healthcare prices and college prices, things that wealthy people buy. And so if you look at like the real inflation, which includes education, cost of living, or, you know, housing, all that stuff, it's significantly above 2% a year. And so wealthy people understand that because their inflation is even higher because they're buying like in super rich neighborhoods and yachts and stuff, and it's going up a lot, right? And so they're like, man, like I got money over here in the bank paying nothing. I got my wealthy folks' inflation that's growing at something like 15% a year. I need an asset class that grows at least more than that or it's cutting my buying power of wealth in half. And so the only asset class out there that's been doing that over over time has been Bitcoin and they're, they are rushing in. And so it's, it's becoming a store of value significantly every day it feels like for wealthy people and the people that aren't wealthy are, are, are missing out. So gold, Bitcoin, you still have real estate, right? Because real estate typically does well when there's lots of money printing. Again, travel in time by looking at Japan, who started who started this process that we started in 08, in 08 
1989. So you can see how their real estate market progressed. I just mentioned the cost of living and how folks live. So you can look uh, time travel by looking at them. So that's an option too. And then the the rest of the money, right? So if you look at those, then you say, okay, I want to diversify even more. Then you want to go find, I like to find mid-sized to, to, to small-sized companies that are eating up the world. So companies that are either like taking market share from old companies that are doing business the old way, not the new way, that also are great at using the money that they that they invest. So they're growing. They're great at they have a historic a great history of using money well, investing money in their company well, and it's it's undervalued by the market. So people think just because the companies a lot a lot of people are missing a lot of good companies that are growing fast, but that are undervalued if you do evaluation because they're not sexy. You know, everybody wants a sexy company, but there's a lot of individual companies that are mid-sized to small size that are growing crazy in this new environment because it's, it's evolution, right? The old company gets big and boring and young companies eat their lunch. So those are still, you know, plentiful in just about every industry, but specifically also if you can find one that's undervalued in the industry that's in the trend of dealing with scarce resources like energy, you know, there's some pretty cool, I had a client bring up some water ETS to have me looking at water stocks, just stuff like that. You know, those, those are some good options to look. You got to do valuation where you got to look at some 10Ks and do a lot of work on that. But that's also, that would be a part of the portfolio. So scarce assets, undervalued, small and mid-sized growth companies, and then emerging markets would be my last bucket. And and, and why emerging markets? Because A, because they're relatively cheap, and B, China in November just signed a a trade deal with about a third of the world com- countries that do the world's GDP or you know the third of the world production of, of of goods and services mostly Asian countries with Japan and Australia thrown in there too but they have a lot of upside so that those countries are not f- heavily indebted they have relatively cheap labor China has money and more money that they can print out and do what America did for China. Like the world grew over the last 20 years off the back of China. China can now do what America did to China for these other countries to produce more and be competitive. We did not, we were not involved in that because of terrible political leadership, which is a whole other episode. But the point is they're cheap and they have a great trade situation. And that, that pans out to a, a really good headwind for the next 10 years for emerging markets who do business with with China. And so that's that's how the portfolio would own. I would, I would have you know the uh, a big chunk of my money in the scarce resources. And, and if I had to this is this is a this is a you know I'm not going to get into how much in each cuz that's that's that would be more of a evolving art of rebalancing, but those are the asset classes that I would look at and how I'll put together the portfolio. And that portfolio would make me feel really, really good about compounding my money and wealth over time, preserving it from the rising cost of inflation that comes from crazy money printing and not just preserving my wealth, but building wealth over and above uh, that rising cost. So that's how I would invest a million dollars from my home run bucket. That was a long final thought, but I thought it was super important because it's something that I, I go into these weird times where I just I just get like a random question in my head and I end up spending like all night and morning just doing research to back it up because I don't watch a lot of TV. And so I go down rabbit holes 
and this is a recent rabbit hole. So I was like, cool, I'll share with the podcast. By the way, it was it didn't take me too much time because I'd already engineered the portfolio that we manage towards that thought process. But I just wanted to figure out a way to better explain it and back it up with 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 more data uh, and simplify, which is why I went down that rabbit hole and studied like Japan and all that kind of stuff. So hope this was helpful for somebody. I know you're going to love this episode and the previous episode on Bitcoin. Check it out. Share it with your friends. And, and listen, y'all, I feel like at this point, people are saying, Philip, you're becoming like a you know Bitcoin lunatic, like one of those crazy folks. <laughs> and and, and I, I'm not one of the folks to think the world's going to like tear apart and it's only going to be Bitcoin. I think this is a new asset class you got to pay attention to. I think there's going to be stocks. I think there's going to be bonds. I think, you know, I think there's going to be a lot of creative destruction in the in the interim. But I, I really believe like that there's a book called The Fourth Turning, right? And it's it's when the new rules of the world get set. And and if you're blessed enough to be, you know, what I call thirty-five during the fourth turning. And what I mean by thirty-five, it's not like an age, right? But thirty-five is that age in general where if you've been working in a specific industry, you have experience, but your mind is still moldable, right? You're not entrenched in the way things are working, right? So so you can be 50 and, and still be open-minded, right? But it's harder the older you get. You got to be at least 35 because you got to have the experience. But then you got to keep the open mind, which is hard to do the more money you make on the old system, right? And so this is a time frame where the system is changing significantly. There's momentum to where the powers that be can't stop it. And so those who understand it, it's like every other thing, you know, real estate. If you if you were early to Miami Beach, you know, beach property 50 years ago, you're making crazy money. If you were early to Instagram and Twitter, you have lots of followers. If you're early to this new monetary system being built, right, you're going to make a lot of money. And, and, and specifically for the communities that have not, that have been pushed aside, taken advantage of because of the current system, this is one where you can get on the ground floor. Like you can reshift the power to you if you understand what's going on. And I'm not just talking about buying Bitcoin, stable coins. I'm talking about like understanding it and building businesses on top of it, right? Like putting your money there is like a no-brainer, right? You know, I'm just not a recommendation. I'm just saying once you get there, you'll be like, oh yeah, putting your money in the right spots here is a no-brainer. But now, all right, how do I build a business on top of this? How do I make some money on top of this? Because that's where I think even, you know, huger gains are going to come. So that's why I'm talking so much about it, because my heart is with the people and I want folks to make money. Y'all enjoy your holidays. Now, I don't think I'm going to have any other episodes after this. I know I said that last time I wasn't supposed to have the episode, but I had it because um, I, I booked that great guest and I did not want to push Gary till, you know, March, which was my I'm booked up through March. Like, we got to get Gary in now. So, y'all have a good one. If you are interested in having a review of your portfolio or to see how far on track you are with your retirement goals, Philip offers complimentary consults through his company, Stonehill Wealth Management. For more information, log on to StonehillWealthManagement.com forward slash talk. That's StonehillWealthManagement.com forward slash talk. 
Philip Washington Jr. is a registered investment advisor. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and, unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Be sure to first consult with a qualified financial advisor and or tax professional before implementing any strategy discussed herein. Past performance is not indicative of future performance.